Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, Everything Cooperative. It's a wonderful, beautiful day in the Washington metropolitan area. Um, We're going to talk about education today which is the fifth principle of the modern cooperative, education, training, and information. And it's at the center of what a cooperative is. But today we have Ms. Marcella Charles Castro, Casto on the line, and she's the assistant principal and career technology education administrator at Mingo Central High School in Mingo County, West Virginia. Good morning, Marcella. How are you doing? Good morning, Mr. Oaks. I'm great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay, Vernon, please, Vernon. Thank you. <laughs> okay. So what I want you to tell first people about is what is this simulated workplace program? Okay. In West Virginia, we had a wonderful assistant superintendent, state superintendent, Kathy D'Antoni, who uh, worked closely with business and industry, and she meets regularly with them. And we began looking at Career Tech Ed and how we could better serve business and industry. And through that came the Simulated Workplace Initiative, which basically transforms our classrooms into a simulated workplace. We try to model all of the protocols that are used in business and industry within our classrooms. So you said career tech education. That's correct. Career and technical education. CTE is the acronym we use. Career and technical education. Well, when when I was in school many years ago in high school, they had in, in Bluefield, West Virginia, which is Mercer County, which I think you're two counties over from us. That's Mingo. correct. So we had vocational ed. That's correct. Is it this, has transformed. A lot, a lot has changed since then. So. Were it better? Yes, I think so. Um, I think in the past, Votech um, kind of had a stigma that students who weren't going to college, who um, just needed to learn a skill, were sent to Votech. Now, students who are going on to become, you know, to have a doctorate in something can still have a background in CTE and, um, you know, can be quite successful. Or you can have the student who goes straight from vocational school, CTE, whichever you want to refer to it as, and go straight to work. So we have a blend of all students in CTE. Well, I played football in high school, and most of the football players were in Vogue Tech. They, they, didn't get the, <laughs> they didn't get their homework done. I was a little bit different, and I was in the honor roll. That was because of my mother. Okay, she she pushed it. She pushed education hard. You had a good support system that yep. made sure you were doing it. Yep. And that always helps, doesn't it? So, Yeah, and when I taught, I have also found that uh, my first year of teaching was in middle school in Cleveland. And those students that made good grades, you saw their parents regularly. 
And if they messed up or did anything wrong, you could call them. You had their numbers. Those kids that made poor grades, you rarely, if ever, saw there. And that kind of stands true today, too. So we have to be that support system for all of them. And I think that's the important part of the relationships. There's the, the, the three R's, and one of those is that relationship. And if a teacher doesn't have a good relationship with that student, it's difficult sometimes because the student who struggles has to have that person to support them. So. I thought the three R's was reading, written, reading, well, that's not three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic. Yes, and it still stands true a little bit, but there's some relationships and some rigor in there now, too. So so now you are simulating workplace. How does it work? How does it work that, and again, in the old days, I graduated from high school in 1965. So 63, six through 62 through 65, those kids selected Vogue Tech that were not doing well in in the academic classes. Okay, in Career Tech now, uh, there's lots of lots more of clusters that are available. There are STEM clusters that are available that you know students who are going into engineering and so forth. We have Project Lead the Way, which is a very rigorous program at Mingo Central, and you know we have some shop classes as well. We have a good blend of everything. But what Simulated Workplace will do is it transforms your classroom into a, the workplace setting, and there are twelve protocols that are embedded within this cultural change of your classroom. Um, it's really not a curriculum. It is a way to deliver the curriculum through an engaging learning environment. And we have 12 protocols. Um, basically, we have student-led companies, meaning that the students actually lead that company. They make some decisions. They have some leadership roles and they um, are responsible for the growth of that classroom. Application and interview structure is a component of that. All students have to apply and be interviewed and be accepted into a CTE program. Uh, we have a formal attendance pro a system where you clock in, you clock out, just as you would in a real job. We use 5S environment, which is a um, industry and business standard of organization of your classroom it's it's a 5s it's basically sorting straightening shining making sure your company is up to standards safe um, a safe work environment we have workplace teams all students rotate through a different role of um, a leadership opportunity in that classroom um, we have company name and handbook they have a, a handbook that goes through the protocols of what's expected of them to be a part of that company, and they choose a company name. Um, we have uniforms. They have their logos outside their doors and so forth. And we have company meetings. We have on-site business reviews. And we have accountability factors. So it's all very much just like business and industry. So what are the different kinds of businesses um, for example, our automotive, we have automotive technology at Mingo Central. The name of that company is Mountaintop Repair Center. So we've transformed it into an auto repair center. Um, Mountaintop Welding is um, our welding company. We have King Cole Construction, that is our carpentry division. 
Appalachian Engineering is our project lead the way. So we have, you know, we have 16 different companies basically at our school. So, and the students actually chose the name. Um, we order uniforms each year. They have a lot of signage that deals with their company name and their logo. Um, our student leaders within the company have business cards that when we have visitors who come into our school, they know the proper protocol of going up and shaking that person's hand and welcoming them to our school and giving them a copy of their business card and saying, you know, if you have any questions at the end, please contact us. We think those skills of people skills are very important to them landing a job post-secondary. Okay, so I got four Automotive, welding, carpeting. Okay, you want more. Okay, um, smart design is our graphic design. Helping hands is family consumer science. Wait, family consumer science? That's kind of the old um, home ec, I guess you would say. And they can if they can go with a career in, in that line, or they could also, she, she also does a lot of social work skills. So kind of falls in that line. Human services. Okay. Now, um, we have HVAC. Um, HVAC. We have ProStart, which is culinary. Um, we have central business, which is a component of all of our business clusters, which could be accounting. It could be just um, office management. There's several different sub areas underneath the business cluster. So. So, all right, so you got a business, and let's take automotive okay. for a moment. And they have a repair shop. So I could bring my car down to Mountain Top Repair Center, and they would do the repairs on it? That's correct, yes. Um, we normally stick with people, you know, like, like teachers within the building and so forth because of liability issues, but we we do venture out and do some things for the community as well. But, like, teachers can bring in their vehicle and get the oil changed. You know, they just have to bring in the oil and the filter, and our students will actually change the oil in their vehicle. We have teachers and support staff who will bring in, like, tires and have tires mounted and so forth. So we, we do a lot of that work. Do they pay for this work? Yes, they make donations to the program, yes. What about, uh, do they do any transmission work or more detailed work? Mm, they have. I mean, they do that definitely on, you know, we, we don't really do that a lot for the public, okay, you know what I mean? But they definitely, you know, use old cars sometimes to rebuild transmissions for the learning experience, yes. Okay. We don't want to get too deep into those things because the skill level is just not there at that point. So. All right, so for your... Graphic design. Yes. How would that work? With I say I I want to I need a flyer and a poster for some event. Um, we are not doing a lot of work for outside, although we do a lot for the county. Okay, you I mean for example, one of the projects that our class is working on right now is lettering all of the county-owned um, Board of Education vehicles. So they are doing the lettering on all of those vehicles. 
So that and it's all student led. The students actually making the design. They'll actually the the board's office will bring the vehicles up and they will actually place the lettering on and so forth. So it's always a you know a, a hands on experience for those students. Another big project that we have um, taken on is they did all of the signage. Every uh, department at our school has like a facade. Um, of their company logo and so forth outside their classroom. So they have designed each of those and actually, you know, put the stickering up. So they, you know, they've done a lot of designing and a lot of project base. So who schedules the work? The creative director, who's the title of that position. Um, that would be the student who's in the student basically foreman position. And they'll actually go meet with the teacher and say, you know, what do you want? Let's talk about some designs. And then they go back and put together a couple of options and bring that back to the student team. And they make the decision of, you know, actually what we're going to go with. And who makes sure the quality is there? The teacher. Okay. And he evaluates it and grades and gives, you know, points for participation and so forth. Okay. You know, I mean, they're the one who's actually, they're basically the facilitator at this point. This is fantastic, and this is the reason that I asked you to be on the show, and I'm so glad that you decide to take time out of your busy schedule to be on the show. I uh, find it's extremely exciting to get kids involved, hands-on, where they can see the product, and therefore education becomes alive. Not It is alive in our building, and we're very passionate about it, and it's exciting to share it. You know, only you would understand where we are actually coming from in southern West Virginia, you know what I mean, in deep Appalachia, where kids don't get a lot of opportunities like this. So anytime we can share what great things are happening at our school, we're, we're willing to do that. We want the world to know. Well, that. we're going to take a, our first break. And okay. after the break, I want to come back and talk about what Appalachia is like for people out there and for these students and, and the results that they get. Please don't touch that dial. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM WOS at 95.9 FM. Information is power, and that's the reason that the National Cooperative Bank is sponsoring this program, to give you information about cooperatives uh, so that if you use that information, it's in the use of the information that you get the power. You use that information, you can learn how to develop a cooperative or how to find a cooperative and the benefits of cooperatives, and it gives you power to particular solve problems in the community. And today we have Miss Marcella on the line with us from Mingo County. And Marcella, is that Charles Casto? Casto, yes. Casto, okay. I was putting Castro in it. Okay. Let's talk about Mingo County first. So you you talked about the the simulated workplace. You try to make it as much of a business as you can. Yes, we did. Uh, so they have clients, they have projects, they have time frames that they have to get the projects done. Has to be done in a quality manner. They have to interface with the public. Uh, so all of these different skills, they have to write up invoices, receipts, maybe proposals, but make it as much like a business as possible so they get the real sense of what life is like out there on their own. But let's talk about Mingo County. I'm from Mercer County, southern West Virginia. Then you have McDowell County, and then from McDowell County, you go over to Mingo County. So what's the stats on Mingo County? How many people? What's the 
How many how many billionaires do you all have in Mingo County? <laughs> I wish I knew the answer to that. I'm not seeing many of them anymore. So billion, uh, billionaire is zero. There's only one billionaire in West Virginia, and that's your that's the current governor. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. that's interesting. So, um, we did have some millionaires. We had Buck Harless, um, who was a Gilbert um, native, and we have Don Blankenship, who is the Massey. CEO. So, I mean, we have a few millionaires, I'm sure, but um, for the most part, we live in poverty. So, um, we, we have to work with daily obstacles with our economy that is declining because of the coal industry. I can tell you that I worked closely with Don Blankenship. Um, I was principal at Mate One High School, and he was my business partner when business was booming. And you're familiar with Mercer County and so forth, you know being a coal capital too, but Don Blankenship was wonderful for our school. He did a lot of great things, and um, I was very proud to partner with him. So uh, we're not fortunate at this point to have a company that we can partner with that of that magnitude. So we do see quite a bit of difference. So you have a, do you have a sense of how many people live in Mingo County? You know, I don't. Um, I know that it has dwindled. I'm going to say, I'm trying to look it up here real quick. Well, I, I got a, the 2010 census said 26,000 people, 11,000 okay. households. 7, I'm going to say that it's much less than that now. So. Okay. 97.1% white, 1.8% black or African-American, 0.2% Asian, and 0.1% American Indian. Okay. Hmm. Not very diverse community. No. Irish, American, German, English, but I don't see the family was forty thousand dollars. The median income for a household in the county was thirty three thousand dollars. Our unemployment rate is at nine percent right now. Sixteen point nine percent of the families and twenty one, or almost twenty two percent of the population were below the poverty line. And this is coal industry. Absolutely. So what is it like? I mean, I understand the drug issue and Mercer and McDowell. I don't know much about Mingo, but what is it like for young people in high school in Mingo County? Actually, the only we, – we don't have a lot of places for students to actually go and get involved in things. We don't have, um, you know, evening activities for students and so forth so the school is the biggest it's the hub of the community and without athletics um you know events like that and clubs maybe within the school there's not a lot of things for the kids to get involved in and we do have a huge opioid problem an opioid abuse problem as do most of rural Appalachia so we're fighting that battle as well so it that's why we knew that simulated workplace was a great fit for us because, you know, it does have mandatory drug testing. And within that, we did see a decline in students. We we, we saw students who weren't a part of, or of CTE, let's say that, because they knew that they couldn't pass a drug test. We knew that was going to be an issue. Um, but we're just trying to reach them through other activities and so forth. So Mingo County has a drug testing policy for students, and if you drive to school 
or if you're a part of an extracurricular activity, meaning athletics or clubs or so forth, or you're in the CTE de uh, department, you know, a member of those classes, then you must be in a part of random drug testing. So that takes care of a big portion of our school that's in the random, but we still have those students that we lose that aren't a part of any of that. So we just try to build the relationships and build the support systems that are there, but we do we do need more. Do you have any sense, or let me tell you my sense first, for the opioid or drug problem is that people end up self-medicating because they have no hope. When you say I there's nothing to do in the afternoon, there's no jobs, the jobs of going into the mines are gone. Uh, my father worked on a railroad. My grandfather worked in the mines in McDowell County. My father worked on the railroads in Mercer County. And a couple years while I was at Bluefield State, I worked on the railroad. So those were the main big paying jobs. And they just don't exist anymore. So why do you think people run to drugs or go into drugs? Why such a big issue there well i think you i think you're definitely on it there i think that is part i think they're self-medicating i think that um i think you have doctors i don't think they're to blame for all of it okay you mean but i do think you have doctors who come to our area um because they know that people are desperate and they you know become rich based upon writing those prescriptions and so forth um you know if you've watched any of the documentaries that were on the news about how many you know pills were dispersed through the pharmacy at Kermit, West Virginia, it was staggering. So there's just too there's just too many people involved in the abuse. Okay. I mean it comes from all the way from, you know, the healthcare industry down to those who have been injured maybe in a mining accident that have become addicted. And there are those who just choose to abuse it. So and I think it's became a basically a a, a family cultural thing. So Wow. How many students are at Mingo County High School? We have right at 700. It varies on any given day, but we're, we're at approximately 700. This was a um, consolidated high school. We had four communities that came together six years ago to this consolidated high school. They were the communities of Mate One, Gilbert, Birch, and Williamson. And we have consolidated, and we now have a comprehensive high school, which means that our career tech center is within the um, school itself, so students do not have to travel. They can actually take honors courses, dual credit courses over on the academic side and still be able to take career tech classes, and that has really boosted our participation in CTE. Uh, previously, they had to travel to a, stand a standalone center, and if you wanted to be in an honors course or so forth, that might not always work out for you. But since we're all in the same building, that has truly um, helped with our CTE options. That would be great because the vocational tech I was talking about in 64 was in a totally different building, and they, the students had to travel by bus to get there, and that was always interesting. The scheduling, career technological education. So how many students of that 700 are in uh, CTE? Okay, of those 700, 419 are in one or more CTE courses. We usually have approximately 120 completers 
meaning they completed four core courses in a curriculum pathway for career tech. So that's a very high number. Our numbers are pretty astonishing, considering we have approximately 150 um, seniors uh, each year to graduate from Mingo Central High School, and all of those, approximately 120 will complete. That's fascinating. And my sense is they complete with a lot of pride. Yes, they did. And students, you know, there there was a stigma attached to CTE, and I think you've kind of mentioned that, okay, you know what I mean, about what students actually went to the VOTEC. And um, it wasn't, I mean, no disrespect with this, but it wasn't your higher uh, flying students, okay? Now you have all blends of students who are completing CTE programs. And we have worked diligently at Mingo Central to take away that stigma that all students should be in a CTE pathway. Because most of your jobs that are out there today aren't uh, a four-year degree from a college that's going to get you a job. So it's a skill set, a skill pathway. Um, most of business and industry are telling us in West Virginia, if you'll just send me someone who can pass a drug test and, and who will up. show up for work on time, we'll train them. Just well, send us that person. We're going to take our second break. We'll be okay. right back. I want to talk a little bit more about that skill set and what, what you're teaching them. But we'll be right back. And please don't touch the dial. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOL, 95.9 FM. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. The program is Everything Cooperative, and the National Cooperative Bank is sponsoring this program. Marcella, Assistant Principal of Technology Education at Mingo Central High School in Mingo County, West Virginia. have about 27,000 or less people, 700 Students in their high school with 419 of them going to what used to be called vocational tech. It's now called career technology education. And they help the students to simulate workplaces, to start businesses and work in those businesses and get the skills that they need to run businesses. So, Marcella, before we left, we were talking about skill sets. So could you talk about some of the skill sets you want the students to learn or you teach them? Okay, well, one is the foremost. We talked about the drug testing, okay, and we want them to be able to pass a drug test, and we want them to come to school faithfully each day. Now, I will tell you that we are still struggling with the attendance issues. Um, We have seen some improvements, but, you know, students still are, I guess, immature in the thoughts that I need to show up every day to school, okay? You know what I mean? I don't know you know, what things are going on in their life that maybe prohibits them from coming to school. We all have issues from time to time, but, you know, attendance is definitely an issue that we focus on every year. But we do uh, take that into consideration as part of the simulated workplace. They clock in, they clock out. They have to actually call their instructor, and if they're going to be absent and say, hey, I'm not coming to work today, I'll have to take a sick day or a personal day, you know, I mean, we allot them so many. And, you know, the question comes up, what do you do when they run out? Okay, you know, I mean, well, you know, they still have to be in that class. But, you know, I mean, we can pull them actually from the shop setting and let them, you know, do some classwork, setting work and so forth. But we try to instill upon them that there, you know, is a reward 
to coming to work every day. So that part's a little bit difficult to manage in the school setting because, you know, we want them to be there and, you know, it's kind of hard to fire them even though we do fire them from the shop setting sometimes because that's the part they like the most. They want to be in that shop setting, so we let them work on things that factor around attendance if in the classroom setting. So that's our way to deal with that. We use a lot of our time just as guidance and advisement, especially even with our interview process. We try to guide our students, and we look at their discipline. We look at their attendance and so forth when we're interviewing them for the program. And if they have any issues or any blemishes, we try to talk about that and you know, try to talk about the importance of how this all impacts the company value of that particular program and that, you know, people are going to be held accountable for their attendance and so forth and that we're a team workplace and that when you don't show up, it affects the value of the entire company. So we try to do a lot of guidance and advising in this. But the employers have told us, you know, if you can send us two things, we we talk to them regularly through our business advisory meetings And they tell us, if you can send me someone who is drug-free and who will show up to work on time, we can train them to do the other. So those are the two components in Southern West Virginia that we try to focus the most attention on. Yeah, I was in one meeting, and I forgot the company. Uh, There was a large company that was trying to go into, let's say, Beckley, West Virginia, and they chose not to because they couldn't find enough people that could pass the drug test. So they, yes. didn't, they didn't come into what they chose someplace else. There is a college that I visited. Once upon a time, I ran the MBA program at Howard. And I was in a meeting with MBA deans, Harvard and the Stanford's GW here. And, and I was representing Howard. And they had a lady from this school come in. And teach, and she talked. I mean, to speak to us, and she talked about assessing the the students. And what they did was first, they didn't give grades. Uh, you had to make a ninety-five or better in order to move to the next class. But they not only taught the subject matter; they taught the skills of of uh, speaking skills. And I noticed, uh, I did see a video on you on your this program, and I noticed how the kids spoke and were. A couple of them said that they used to be really scared to get up in front of somebody and speak. But analytical skills, you know, how to make a decision, how to analyze something and make a choice. They talked about international skills, computer skills. They had about nine lists. And aesthetics was one of them, too, which I found interesting of just the, the, the pleasure of driving through West Virginia and southern West Virginia in particular and just admiring the beauty. <laughs> There's, I don't think there's any place more beautiful. I, I like St. Thomas, but uh, I like the ocean. But the beauty of West Virginia is just absolutely wonderful. So they had nine s- skills that they taught in every class, and the skill increased as the education increased. So that's what I thought you were going to tell me, your skill set. And guidance and advising, I get that, particularly when you're dealing with poverty perhaps broken homes, drug addiction in the homes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Just getting them there is a big issue. <laughs> so I really appreciate that. Um, but uh, Alverno was the name of that college, and 
you may want to take a look at them. Uh, they, they're, I, I even visited their campus a couple of times. They're in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, I believe. Okay, and the name of it is what? Alverno, A-L-V-E-R-N-O. Okay. Uh, it just, and, we would and, love to do that. And, and then they also did training for, they had different schools that would come up and do training. So I want to switch a little bit now to, we talked about the type of businesses. And it sounds like in this simulation, you're wanting them to have clients, have projects, measure how well they are, and you get donations, and hopefully those donations are maybe have somehow based on how good the product was or something of that nature. How does the industry view these these uh, students? Are they, are they able to get jobs locally, or do they have to go out of the county to get jobs? Well, most of our students um, have the desire or the, I don't know, uh, the it's just culturally what's expected of them to stay there, okay? You know, I mean, we're in southern West Virginia, and that's just kind of what our kids do for the majority. Um, so this creates another hardship because there's not a lot of jobs. Um, we do have active business advisory councils for every one of our programs. Some of them are very difficult to come by. The biggest employer in Mingo County today is the school system. So at one point, we could tell you that that was the mining industry, but it is not now. We live on the border, so a lot of our employment goes to Kentucky because, you know, that's five minutes away. It's across the bridge for the Williamson area and the Maitland area and basically the Kermit area. So a lot of our students go to Kentucky to become employed. So we do have the health care field. Okay, We have a hospital in Williamson, West Virginia, and then we have one in South Williamson, Kentucky. So, you know, we have a lot of active business advisory council members from both of those um, hospitals. But business and industry um, are constantly meeting with us and offering insight to what credentials we should be offering. They address our equipment, safety concerns, trends, and certifications. So we're constantly listening to them, but we still have limited number of jobs available. So for the most part, you know, people do, do stay in Mingo County and work, but... They're limited for what they can do. Well, it's always been amazing to me, and it probably ought not be, but the number of people in McDowell County, Mingo now I'm hearing, and in Mercer that really want to stay home. And I I always, every time I came back home, would try to figure out what can I do here to make a living uh, because the people are friendly in their community. Why? They just I don't think you can find better people, at least as I've traveled the world. I cannot find better people than West Virginia folks. They really help out each other. And like I said, the, the the hills are absolutely beautiful. I could probably wake up in the morning and spend two hours meditating and looking at the sky and the trees. So everybody wanted to be there. And I also interviewed students from Bluefield uh, to get scholarships to go to college. And I don't know if I interviewed 10 kids two, three, four of them say that they're staying home. They're not going away to school. But unfortunately, because of economics, at least in 1965, most of the kids, particularly the black kids, left Bluefield. Um, I'd say most of the kids left. 
I don't know about Mingo. So that's why I was asking you what's there, and you sound like there's not a lot of jobs for them to stay. But what do the the, the advisory council, those businesses, if they hire somebody from the high school, what do they say about them? Do they, do they come to work on time? Do they have good skills? Are they trainable? What do they say about them? Um, it really varies based upon which discipline, okay, I mean, which um, cluster area and so forth. But they, uh, we have heard improvements since we've implemented simulated workplace. This is our fourth year for total implementation, and we have heard them say better things. I think I mentioned this in the conference that you were in, and, you know, that's two hours away from us, but the Toyota um, CEO in Buffalo, um, which is in Putnam County, uh, met my students at a college summit that we were at, and he told me after speaking with my students, he complimented me, and he told me that he hires employees every day at the Toyota plant that could not articulate the things that my students were articulating to him. And they came up to him and they shook his hand, told him what program they were from and what things were happening in simulated workplace and so forth. And he was more than impressed with their speaking skills and just with how they dealt um, with introducing themselves and so forth. So I was very proud of them for that. Well, one of the reasons I asked you to be on this program, I'm very proud of you and your other colleagues of what you are doing there to get these students to, this, these um, experiences, even to get to the Toyota plant to talk to them, to show off their stuff. Absolutely. It's awesome. Uh, and I, I really do believe this kind of program is what will help solve the drug problem as much as, if not more than anything else, because you give people hope. They can have a future. So I'm on the West Virginia Access to Higher Education Board, and that's the reason I was in this conference that you presented. And that's one of the things that, that we found is that if students have hope, then they make better junior high school students and high school students. They do come to class. They do show up. They do do their work if they know that they're the future. But if they have no hope, then let's do drugs or let's hang around. Let's do nothing. And their hope will come from one teacher believing in them and hopefully one administrator, and hopefully that's me, okay, but you know, and believing in them and knowing that they can overcome that and giving them the support that they need. And we think that this program does just that. So we believe in it. I think you felt the passion. Um, you know, I, my instructors are definitely the people in the field that are making this happen, and I have the best career tech staff of any in the state. I know that I would say any in the nation. They believe in this program and they weren't all on board the first year, I can tell you. Because <laughs> okay. anytime you bring a new program on, people think it's more work for me yep. and you're changing the way I do business and change is never welcomed. But um, they have embraced this and it is working and they believe in it now. Okay, you know what I mean? And it's 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 beauty whenever you walk into our building and see it in in the process. Well, I hope to get down there one day. We're going to take our last and final break. The hour goes by really quickly, but I want to talk a little bit about co-ops when I come back, and then we'll finish up. Thank you so much, Marcella. We'll be right, we'll be right back. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOS, 95.9 FM. 
That's right. National Co-op Bank is sponsoring this program. NCB's customers are cooperatives such as grocery wholesale co-ops, food co-ops, purchasing co-ops, credit unions, or housing co-ops. Other customers share in the spirit of cooperation driven by democratic organizing principles. What they all have in common is a single fundamental principle. They have joined together cooperatively to meet personal, social, and our business needs. Marcella, let me give you a quick definition of cooperative. Well, hopefully quick. Okay. Cooperative business depends on who owns and controls them. If it's owned by the employees, it's a worker cooperative. And therefore, any business you can think of, whether it's plumbing or electrical or automotive or graphic artists, if it's owned by the employees, it's a worker cooperative. If it's owned and controlled by the people that uses the products or services, it's called a consumer cooperative. Housing cooperatives, credit unions, food co-ops most often are consumer cooperative people that buys in the in the grocery store that they own the business. But there's also a clinic in Madison, Wisconsin, Marcella, that is a health clinic that's owned by the patients. And that's a patient centric health clinic. Those are the main two. And then you have farmers use this a lot and artists are beginning to use these two other type. And it's the people that come together, farmers come together, and they buy the products that they need to farm. They buy their seed together, the fertilizer together, the gasolines. They may buy equipment. Uh, maybe the farmer can't buy this big harvesting machine or plowing, but then they'll pitch all in, and then they will share and rotate who uses it. So that's called a purchasing cooperative. And on the other end, you have people that market their products together. So farmers would come together and I think there's 900 or 9,000 farmers that sell their milk to Cabot Creamery and Cabot Creamery will produce milk and cheese and other things. And then they will market that to much more markets that if I had a farm in West Virginia dairy farm, I may be only able to market my products locally. But if you send it to Cabot Creamery, then they can send it nationally or internationally. So you get better products, better price. And, again, artists are doing this. And here in D.C., there's a consumer cooperative, a purchasing cooperative called CPA. Their clients have been churches and uh, charter schools and government entities. They buy trash collection together and get better prices copy machines, solar panels, and they've been very, very successful, and they're getting ready to branch out into other uh, cities. So there's different ways that people come together cooperatively to solve community problems, and that's the main reasons that i found that co-ops exist. You get four or five people come together, and I wanted to share this with you, and I started to call you and talk to you about it, and I go, well, let's just do it on the air. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> that... I don't know how we could help you and your staff get knowledgeable about, knowledgeable about cooperatives and maybe that, uh, super, the assistant uh, superintendent. But what I had in mind when I heard you all talk was maybe five of those plumbing students could get together and literally form their own business, a cooperative. They might try to get somebody from the plumbing company that's down the street to be a part of it. But when they leave high school, 
they have a job. Now, they may have clients in Kentucky and different cities in in uh, Mingo County, or they may have clients in, I don't know, McDowell County or someplace else. So it, it would be a way that that people could, in this case students, could begin to create jobs. And this is one of the things that co-ops do in solving community problems is when there are no jobs, you said 10% unemployment? Yes. That that they can help to figure out how to solve that. Maybe students could form a tree-cutting company or gardening company or la- uh, landscaping company. In Cleveland, some of the institutions, the universities, and the hospitals have come together and they helped form three different co-ops basically in the neighborhood and in, in poverty-stricken parts of Cleveland. One was a laundry company so that they would send their bedding, the hospitals, to this company and they would clean them and send them back or towels or whatever. So they, they've said, okay, we as a, and you mentioned two hospitals, we are, are as hospitals, we have these needs, so maybe these they can create some co-ops to help to solve those needs. So I just wanted to tell you about this, and there are different places to get education about cooperatives, and maybe there's a way of fitting this into your into your structure. Thank you so much. You know, that is one of those skills that we want to build upon is problem solving, okay? You know what I mean? And students being able to think outside the box and to bring things within their own community to solve, you know, problems and to create opportunities. So it definitely fits, and we appreciate that. Well, the other thing I wanted to share with you, there are seven cooperative principles. Uh, volunteer and open memberships. It doesn't make any difference on somebody's gender or race or political or religious or anything. If somebody wants to join, it, it, they're open for people to join. Democratic member control is normally one member, one vote. So it doesn't, it, you don't, normally in, in America, in particular capitalistic society, it's the more money you have, the more power you have. In a co-op, one member, one vote. And then there's member economic participation. It's normally some fee to join. There was a, a food co-op that started up in a, a, a poverty-stricken area of Greensboro, North Carolina, and they got a thousand people to join. And paying at f- first it was ten dollars, and they raised it up to a hundred dollars a person. And they really wanted people to, and banks to know that people were quite interested in this. And then they did the fifth principle, I just missed it. Well, let's go to fourth principle is autonomy and independence, that they have to have control over the business. And then the fifth one is mentioned education, training, and information. And then there's a book called Collective Carriage that a black lady wrote about the black experience in co-ops. And it's a tremendous experience, and it helped blacks to pull themselves out of out of poverty. Oh, you would like this, Marcella. Um a lady named Dame Pauline Green, who is was the president of the International Cooperative Alliance, when she described a co-op, she said, co-ops help people to come out of poverty with dignity. Absolutely. I like that a lot. And the dignity comes out to be around this education and autonomy, and they have the say of how the business operates. And they have to learn how to work together and solve problems together and communicate and so forth. But 
it really works. And the sixth and seventh principle of co-ops are cooperation among cooperatives. So if you all decided you all wanted to get knowledge about this, I have found when I've gone to conferences with co-ops, people share information. It's like all you have to do is look like you want data <laughs> knowledge. <laughs> they throw it on you, which is different from the, uh, from the capitalistic world. If I got something, I know something, I'm not going to share it with you because you're a competitor. It's not like that in the cooperative world. For the most part, I've, I've been told that it does happen, but I just haven't seen it. Cooperation among cooperatives and co-ops buy from each other. And the seventh one is concern for community. So that a lot of co-ops, what they will do when they have surpluses or profits, they'll look at how much stays in the business. And the members decide this now, how much stays in the business, how much do they uh, give to charitable charitable institutions or things or how to help solve problems in the community. And the third one is how much do they pass out in dividends. And that goes back to the uh, second principle, uh, our third principle, uh, member economic participation. They can put something in, and when there's surpluses, they get something back. And that's where you end up creating wealth. In co-ops, most of the time, people in cooperatives will make more money than a uh, comparable capitalistic business, and that's because they have more responsibility. They have to do their work, and they have to manage the business. And they get paid their their hourly or salary rate, plus if there's a surplus, they share in that surplus. So I, that's why I like co-ops. I yes. like it. And I wanted to preach to you a little bit today about it. So I've had my opportunity. Well, it did help. It really did because, you know, I mean, when I read the title, Everything Co-op, I really didn't have a great background to what actually your role was and how this all kind of fit in together, but I definitely can see the connection now. So I appreciate that. Well, the connection is in education and in helping people to control their destiny, increase wealth, but it's financial wealth and social wealth because in the co-op, when they learn how to work with people, they can also go out and work with the police departments and other entities to get things solved in their community. We have one minute. What's the, what's the last thing you'd like to leave people with? Well, I guess that just brought up that all of the skills that I think that we're trying to uh, empower students with do apply to both the educational world, the work world, and the real world, okay? You know what I mean? They can apply them to all. We all have to be a team player in everything that we do. And, you know, I think when we can teach that skill or we can empower kids with that skill, we've made better humans and, you know, it's a better quality of life for everyone. So that's our goal. Thank you so very much. It's a pleasure having met you, and thank you for being on the program. And for everybody out there, please have a wonderful cooperative week, and I'm going to try to get down to Mingo County. I wish you would. Come see us. I will do that. Thank you very much. Thank you. Goodbye. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOS, and 95.9 FM.